Sozo gift card yet because you're a visitor. Um, we might have to increase the amount we send out because I think $5 buys you one shot of espresso these days. <laughs> it's crazy how just costs of things. I'm, I'm handing out $9 lattes and people are like, sweet, thank you. I'm like, all right, we'll keep doing this. So uh, it's crazy how huh, the times we're living in. So uh, is that better, Greg? All right, we got, we got some action. So uh, turn to Acts chapter 11, if you would. I love the fact that my wife had said, um, you know, we're doing something really unique here, and I love it. It's, I mean, it's not too unique, but we get to worship God in a coffee house, and I know several of you have tried to pitch that to people you know, and they're just like, wait, what? You're going to have church in a coffee house? That's not for us, you know. They need more of the crosses and the stained glass and all that, but I love what we're doing here. I love what we're doing here, and I love how we're able to engage with one another on Sundays, and then Monday through Saturday, love, love the community and meet people and invite them to something unique like this. I think yesterday, Lori and I had a couple conversations with people who are like, that sounds interesting. Come check it out, and so uh, glad you're here. Glad you're here. Acts 11 is where we're going to be. Uh, one of the things that we believe in when it comes to philosophy of ministry is not just to combine coffee and Jesus is what, which, what we're doing, but to remind you, for me to remind you that the work of God is on all of our shoulders. Um, it's not me because I'm El Pastor, El Jefe, whatever you want to call me. Uh, those are synonymous in my, in my world. So you can call me El Jefe, you can call me El, Past El Pastor. Uh, speaking of pastor tacos, oh, I love pastor tacos. Who likes pastor tacos? I love it. spiritual gifts eating. Sorry, my mind went there. Um, but part of my responsibility, and this is going to be one of those things that I drive home, drive home, drive home, is that no one in this room is immune from being used by God to accomplish his great work. We too often give the, the work of ministry to the professionals our churches demonstrate that, even in this context, we're not perfect, right? There's me up on a stage, and there's you in the audience, and you're sitting there with your notes and your, and your pens, and you're ready to take notes, and, you know, it's like, I can never do what he's doing, so therefore, I'll just be encouraged and inspired today and leave, and, but that's not, I want to I wanna break that, that separation and remind us that we're all priests in the work of God. Matter of fact, write that down. I am a priest. I am a priestess. I am a pastor. I am a minister. Yes, the Bible says you and I, in Christ, have the same responsibility. It's just not me because I'm paid. And it's not just you because you're part of a, a, a church. We're part of something larger than my vocation, my calling, my position, and the fact that you're part of a church. We get to participate in something together that that I think the church largely, especially in our cultural context, misunderstands. And I think I want to be passionate about this because I think you're missing out on opportunities for God to use you out in the world to represent Jesus, and that's the greatest thing you can ever experience. It's scary as heck, but it's the most exciting thing you can experience. I was reminded this week of just a little, little sliver of this, um, we're, you know, the queen, people who waited 24 hours to stand in a three, four-mile line just to see her lying in state. And one of the ones standing in line who had about a 12-hour wait was a guy named David Beckham. You guys know who David Beckham is? So, famous football player, right? Everyone in England knows who David Beckham is. Here in America, we're still catching on. He's married to one of the Spice Girls, right? Somebody's like, oh, now I know who it is. But what was cool was this comment, someone took a picture and said, David Beckham is just like us. He has to stand in line for 12 hours to see the queen lying in state. And I thought to myself, well, why shouldn't he? Right? Just because you're a celebrity, does that mean like, oh, you get, you get cuts. You get, you get to come in front of the line. No. And you know what I loved about it is that he was just there waiting like everybody else. Didn't make anything of it. Because here's what God is not into. He's not into the fact that you're famous. You know what God's into? The fact that you're faithful. Matter of fact, write that down. God doesn't want a celebrity believer. God wants a com com committed believer. 
What you're going to discover today is a different kind of mentality, a different kind of work, a different kind of responsibility, a different kind of perspective on what it means to be the church. Here's what we firmly believe. God does not call us to go to church. He calls us to be the church. And by being the church, we have to regain a sense of our sentness. Just like the Father sent Jesus, Jesus now turns to us and says, I send you. Go be salt. Go be light. This is what I believe we are missing out on when it comes to finding deep and eternal significance in this thing we call life. Life is more than you, you know, putting money into your 401k. We won't talk about that. Life is more than, you know, getting that, that summer vacation scheduled. Life is more than, you know what, I just need five happy steps to make my marriage better. Life is more than just a $9 chai. Life is about you connecting with the author and creator of the universe, not only coming into relationship with him, but now understanding your responsibility now that you're his kid. And your responsibility is to live for him and point others to relationship in him. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And God doesn't want famous people. He wants faithful people. But this requires a different kind of mindset. Look at Acts 11. This is such a great passage. I love it. I'm so excited to be able to teach this to us uh, today. And again, I've been soaking in it all week. You get to soak in it for the first time this morning. So here, here we go. We're all equal before our king. Right? Just like David Beckham is equal with all the other you know, folks of, 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 of England and, and beyond when they're seeing the queen. You know, we have a king that we all stand on level ground before. No one's better than anyone else. Amen? And so Acts 11 we see this incredible picture of how the gospel is about ready to explode across the world. And I would say that this church that we're going to meet in this town called Antioch, which is in modern-day Syria, is the gospel-sending evangelistic energy of, of, of the early church. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Antioch believers. So check this out. Verse 19, chapter 11. Let's read through verse 26, and then we'll go back and we'll just, we'll take this apart because I think there's so many good things here. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen, remember we we saw Stephen get martyred in chapter 7. They made their way to Phoenicia, to Cyprus, to Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus to them. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And news about this this movement reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, which is about 300 miles away, and they sent Barnabas... Off to Antioch. We've met Barnabas before, so it's cool that he's back in the scene. And then he he comes to Antioch, witnesses the grace of God. He sees the grace of God. And he rejoices and begins to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. We've met Saul before. We get to be reintroduced to him this morning. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came about that for an entire year they met with the church, taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. May God write his eternal truth upon our hearts this morning. So there's going to be four different kinds of things we see in this passage, and I think each of these points is going to reorient our thinking, reorient our perspective, perhaps give us fresh insight into not only what God did 2,000 years ago in Antioch, but perhaps what he wants to do today in Chandler. It it requires a different mindset. We can't keep doing things the way we've done them, right? You keep doing something that doesn't work. What's the definition of this? Expecting different results? It's insanity. And I'm the guy that, again, I might be the redheaded stepchild at the table. I might be at the kids' dinner at Thanksgiving mealtime, right? 
I'm going to be the guy that's going to say the things that challenges the church to be different. I've been on the other side. I've tasted the glorious waters of, of mega church, attractional church, you know, but there's something better. I'm tired of seeing the spiritual lethargy that exists among the evangelical community. And I'm going to call us to something more. And I'll be the ringleader because I'm already doing it. You know what? Follow me as I follow Christ, right? This, this is what we're doing. Follow me into something different as, as we all hopefully follow Christ. So what do we see here? Number one, a different kind of movement. There is something taking place in Acts 11 that is just different, right? And, and notice, so we look at verses 19 through 21. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen. So we have a scattered church. A scattered church is a significant church especially when their heart is connected, tethered, anchored by the word of God. See, we see persecution as a bad thing, and not that we go seek persecution, but what do you do when hard times come? These people did not embrace a mentality of escapism. They embraced a mentality of engagement. See, so many of us are like, what if the government does this, and what if they do this? I'm going to go move here, and I'm going to move there. I'm going to go, really? Is that all it takes to shake your faith and not represent your, your, your Lord even in difficult, tumultuous circumstances? God doesn't want fleeing people. He wants faithful people. See, these believers, they were driven out, but they still, wherever they went, made sure they took the word with them. Notice verse 19. They went out because of the persecution, and they made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. They went into Gentile, non-Jewish territory. And what were they doing? What was the number one thing? They took the word of God, and they spoke it to other fellow Jews. Now, we celebrate the fact that they took the message, and, and they shared it with other Jewish people, but they hadn't got the memo that the gospel's also for those who are non-Jews. Remember what we looked at last week with Peter and, uh, and Cornelius and, and a couple weeks ago, right? So they have included in under the fact that the Greeks are also included in this. But verse 20, but there were some people from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch. And what did they do? They began speaking to the Greeks. They got the memo. And look what God was doing. He's, they're preaching Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believe turn to the Lord. So what you see here in these few verses is a, is a picture of God's ideal. That no matter what circumstances you may be experiencing, three things are important to focus on. Here they are in your notes. Number one, the word of God. Number two, the son of God. And number three, the hand of God. Notice what these people do, and I love it. Begin, because again, the mentality is not escapism, it's engagement. You, no matter what situation you may find yourself in, your first mentality is not, how do I get out of here? The first mentality is, how do I represent Jesus here? Do you guys, you guys get that? Some of you, I, I can tell, you're not believing me. Maybe a free coffee later, maybe you'll believe me. Here's the thing. You have the most powerful instrument in the world, in your possession, and that is the word of God, which is God's inspired letter to us, his, his will given to us in written form, that wherever you go, there are lost people, there are disillusioned people, there are discouraged people, there are, there are rebellious people, and what they need more than anything else is to hear the word of God. Because in the word of God, you know what you get? You get the hero of God's story. From Genesis to Revelation, you get the hero. Write that word down, hero. God's word is about God's hero. And who is God's hero? Point number two, the son of God. Because he's the goal of our message. He's the goal of our, of our living. He's the one we're pointing people to. And you know what I love here is that these people were added to the Lord. They weren't added to the church. Huge. God is not asking you to add people to the church. He's asking you to point people to Jesus. Because the church is not an institution. It is the organic movement of the people who have been supernaturally changed by the Lord. And so you see here that this culture that they're in, let me tell you really quickly about Antioch. It is a city of about 500,000 people. 
It is one of the three great cities of the Roman Empire at the time. There's Rome, there's Alexandria, there's Antioch. Antioch was the most cosmopolitan of those three cities. Half a million people. It was the first city that had uh, lights on their streets, about a four-mile boulevard that ran right through this downtown area. And there, there was no religion that was off limits. There was no sexual practice that was off limits. It was all out there. It was like Las Vegas meets New York on steroids. And here the believers are going into this dark, dark culture. And you know what they did? They said, let's engage it. Let's engage it. They worship different gods. Let's engage it. They teach different types of stuff in our schools. Let's engage it. They celebrate different kinds of marriages and different kinds of relationships. Let's engage it. The news doesn't tell us what we want to hear. Let's engage it. Does that sound similar? Maybe we live in a modern-day Antioch where all of, our, all of our freedoms, all of our, all of our licentiousness, all of our sinful impulses, and it's, it's all just whatever you want to do, do it because, you know, you do you. And these people walk into a you-do-you culture, and they say, we're going to do Jesus, and let's just see how this all works out. And so they take the word of God, and again, they, there's a hero in the word of God, and that's the son of God. He's the goal. These people had, let me just remind you how precious, how wonderful, how important Jesus is. These people had no plan. They had no program. They had no budget. All they had was Jesus. But at the end of the day, that's all you need. Can I get an amen from somebody? Let me just come back to who you and I are in Christ. If you've been touched by the hand of God's love in Christ, you have everything you need to engage a culture steeped in darkness, wickedness, sinfulness. I'm, I'm tired of this celebrity Christian world. I'm not, I'm, I'll bag it, but I'm not bagging it. You know, bring a celebrity to your church and draw, draw in the masses. I, I'm, not, I'm not against that, but what I, what I see that doing is it downplays your importance. You can bring a famous football player out to your church and speak and draw thousands and thousands of people. I would rather equip non-famous, faithful believers to go represent Jesus in their respective cultures. That's what I want to do, and I believe that's the heart of God. Because a God that I know doesn't want famous people. He wants faithful people. Do you know Jesus? Then you're important in his work. The most impressive people to God are not the ones who have the biggest stage, but those who take advantage of what God has already placed before them faithfulness which brings us to the third point right so we got the word of god son of god but there's the hand of god and this is kind of where we can all take a deep 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 breath because at the end of the day it's god's sovereignty at work in changing people's lives can i can i just say that again another way you are faithful with what god has given to you let god do the, the internal work. Can I just say how good that makes me feel? Like sometimes I'm up here and I'm, I'm preaching, right, and I'm sweating, like I'm doing right now, pitting out. I've met other pastors worse pitters than I am, but I'm a pitter. And I'm looking at some of you and you're just like. <laughs> and you know where my mind goes? God, only your spirit. Only your spirit. I'm going to be a communicator. I'm going to be a faithful presenter. I'm going to bring us to the word. But ultimately, God's got to be one that stirs your soul. He's, the hand of God represents the power of applying the salvation message to anybody's heart, which you are powerless to do. The hand of God is used uniquely by Luke here. It's an Old Testament idea that it signals the invisible God's making his power and might visible and tangible. When God shows up and his hand is involved, there's no other explanation other than to point heavenward to say, wow, he's awesome. Because with God, there's no ethnic barrier. With God, there's no social barrier. With God, there's no sinful barrier. From eternal predestination to final glorification, the salvation of a sinner is accomplished only and exclusively by him. Because God doesn't want you taking any of the glory for his work. You see, guys, we participate with him.
but he's the prime mover. These believers didn't just sit back and do nothing. I think that's another aspect of this that we have to understand is that they were moving. They were doing things. But in the moving and doing, they were faithful, and they're not results-oriented. They're not like, well, I did it for two weeks, and it didn't work. I'm just going to stop doing it. Sometimes you do the work of God for, for, for weeks, for months, for years, and you may not ever see a single result, but God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because if you're faithful to him, his hand will work one way or the other, whether you realize it in this side of eternity or, in the, ne- or the next. Be faithful. Are you, are, you, are you doing things for God? Are you, are, you, are you working for him? Because I tell you what, you've got to just, just do what he's called you to do. Represent Jesus well. Point people to the hero of the story. Point people to Jesus who's the goal of the story, right? And let his power do what it needs to do. I was reminded of, of this. I was reading an article this week of how, how many churches closed during COVID. Can I just tell you right now how church close is really an oxymoron? The church doesn't close. See, this is an institutional-based mentality where it's like, (gasps) during the pandemic, we had to close our church. Are you kidding me? If ever the church was open, it should have been during the pandemic. We don't close churches. Why? Because you can't shut down an organic movement of a revolutionary people who love Jesus desperately and want to share Jesus with others desperately. I was like, closing churches? Who does that? The devil does that. And it's an institutional mindset. Ladies and gentlemen, during the pandemic, we have had opportunities. And if you've missed out on those opportunities, that's on you. And God is not pleased. Because when the church shines brightest is usually when the culture is the darkest. That's good. I I just don't even know where that came from. Put T-shirt material, bumper sticker material, right? The church shines brightest when the culture around us is the darkest. See, these early believers, they understood some 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Write it down. They have learned to become all things to all people so that maybe by every possible means they might save some. Don't forget the heart of, of the apostle. He says, I'm going to become all things to all people So that maybe by God's grace, I might have an opportunity to save some. And again, Paul's not saying he saves anybody, but he wants to be so present in someone's life that God may use that relationship to bring someone to Jesus. You know why? Because the church never closes. Are you kidding me? So there we see, number one, a different kind of movement. Is this not the kind of movement you want to be a part of? Hey, if it's just me and Jesus, I'm cool with that. I would want others to join me on that. Secondly, there's a different kind of maturity. And I really think that the movement is encouraged and fueled by this kind of maturity that we see in someone we've already met. His name is Barnabas, which actually wasn't even his real name. His real name's Joseph. But he was such an encourager, they're like, we're calling you son of, the, of encouragement. Some of you are sons of someone else, but we don't want to talk about that, right? See, there's a different kind of maturity. Look at verse 22. So they, these people turn to the Lord. So the news of what's going on in Antioch, 300 miles away from Jerusalem, reaches the church in Jerusalem. And you have to admit, they're, they're a little sus about what's going on in Antioch. They're, they're going, wait, the gospel is, is taking root in this dark, sinful place called Antioch? Are there Jews that live there? Like the church in Jerusalem is a little bit sketch on what's going on. So they, so they go, we need to send somebody to kind of exert some quality control. Right? We need to go and make sure that maybe there's some accountability that needs to happen. They couldn't have picked a better dude. Who do they get? Barnabas. The son of encouragement. Now, I love this move here because what Barnabas represents is something that I think every follower of Christ ought to represent. He is an agent of grace. Write that down. We need to embrace the maturity. We need to aim for the maturity that Barnabas 
exemplifies. I mean, we've already met Barnabas, right? Acts chapter 4. He's the guy who's like, there's incredible need in my church. There's people that are hurting. You know what? I've got 200 acres of property. I'm going to sell it and just give all the money to, to these people that need it. Awesome. Chapter 9, we meet Barnabas again. And he connects with a guy named Saul, who was once the greatest persecutor of the church. Now he's the greatest promoter of the church. He wants to meet new believers in Jerusalem. Everyone's a little suspect because the last thing they know about Saul is he's killing Christians. What does Barnabas do? Here's what I love, his empathy. He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an advocate of the underdog. He finds Saul and personally says, I'll be your dude. I'll be your dude. So he walks in and he goes, hey, guys. They're like, hey, Barnabas. He's like, look who I brought with me. And they're all like, it's the murderer. No longer. Ladies and gentlemen, Saul now loves Jesus. And you could better believe some people were like, yay! And some people were like, we'll see. We'll see. There's always people, right? There's people that are like for you, and there's always going to be people that are against you. Barnabas was like, I'm going to be your dude. Right? I'm going to. So he just loved the underdog. We meet him again. So no better candidate to go to Antioch and see what God is doing. Look at verse 22. So the news about, right, the church in Antioch reached Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So he travels 300 miles. He comes and he witnesses. Notice what he sees. The grace of God. How do you see the grace of God? How is the grace of God visible? How is the grace of God tangible? I'm going to tell you two things real quick. These are just little side notes. These are not the blanks, so don't get mad at me, right? Like, oh, I thought these were the points. He sees people, number one, touched by new life. Their lives have changed because Jesus offers new life, right? He sees this, and probably because there's men, women, slaves, free, Gentiles, Jews, Republicans, Democrats, all together. When you see that sort of mix, that's the grace of God. And not only does he see new life, you know what else he sees? He sees a community of people bearing the fruit of the Spirit among one another. Can I tell you how precious that is? Matter of fact, let me, let me kind of maybe shake your world a little bit. Let me maybe rock your world a little bit. Luke has spent considerable amount of time with Barnabas. He knows what kind of stand-up guy this guy is. He can speak to Barnabas and how much of an agent of grace he is. Notice in this passage, we don't see Barnabas' gifts. We only notice his graces. So many times we are so locked in to like, well, my gift is this and this and this. I'm going to tell you what all of our gifts is, is. It's grace. And grace ought to be, what was it you and I were talking the other day? The currency of, Gunther, you and I were talking? The currency of our lives is grace. I think I made that up. I don't know. Another bumper sticker. Someone, get, get these things printed. The currency you spend your life is grace. And here's what I'm going to call the church to, and we're going to talk through three, three important points. He goes, and he's going to Antioch, and here's what the church in Jerusalem knows as they send Barnabas. He's not going to quench the fire of what God's doing there. Barnabas is not going to go and be suspicious of their enthusiasm. He's not going to go and bring a set of restrictive policies as to what the conversions look like and how do you join a church and what's the proper way to administer baptisms or this or that. Barnabas is not going with this legalistic performance-based mentality. You know what Barnabas is going for? He's going to witness and applaud what God is doing in this culture, even if it looks different than the culture in Jerusalem because that's what missionary activity does. We don't come and impose our culture on another culture. We come and bring Jesus and see the mosaic nature of how unique their culture is in Christ with our unique nature in Christ, and we celebrate together. That's missions. 
right? God doesn't tell us to change our, our, our wardrobe and our diets and our, and our celebrations. God includes it all and says, isn't this a glorious, beautiful mix of people? But that requires grace. And there's three things that we can see in, in, in Barnabas' life about grace. These are in your notes, so here we go. There is grace captured, there is grace celebrated, and then there is grace cultivated. So let's talk through these real quick. Because here's what Barnabas does. So he goes, and he comes and he witnesses, verse 22, 23, the grace of God. And what does he do when he sees what God is doing in Antioch? He rejoices. He rejoices over what is being seen there, being done there, and he begins to encourage them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Faithfulness. Stay loyal, church. Right? And why was he able to do this? Because there's something about his inner qualities that Luke gives us a clue. He's a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and, and considerable numbers of people were brought to the Lord, not to the church, but to the Lord. So what do we mean by this? So first point is grace captured. You cannot be an agent of grace until you've first been transformed by God's redeeming grace. And all God's people said, it's the most ungracious people, I wonder, who claim the name of Jesus. I go, do you even know Jesus? Jesus is the agent of grace. He's the one who shows us what grace looks like through his actions, through his words, right? So Barnabas is a guy who knows Jesus, and when you know Jesus, you know grace, right? And when you know grace, you live in grace. And when you live in grace, you're able to see grace, right? The person that doesn't see grace doesn't live in grace, and if you don't live in grace, I wonder if you even know grace. Do you recognize grace? Do you recognize the fact that there are people all around you, and not only do you see grace, but you also delight in grace, you get excited, right? Grace-filled grace people are optimistic people because there's this thing in the Bible called hope. And the hope that God gives us does not disappoint. There should be no sourpuss Christians in the church. Sourpusses, that's an old, that's an old phrase. Too many people walk around like this, I love Jesus. And you know what? There's no joy. There's no grace. There's just criticism and condemnation. I've got the gift of judging. No, you don't. you got the gift of being judged. Be careful, sister. Be careful, brother. Do you know grace? If your life has been touched by grace, you are the most humble person. There is no one beneath you because the moment someone is beneath you, there's pride. You are bottom shelf, but you are pleased to be bottom shelf when the psalmist says, I'd rather be a janitor in the house of God than to be right there by his throne. I'll take the lowliest position. Why? Because he loves me. This is not about position. This is about a partnership with him. He's, he's, he's invited me into his family. Do you know grace? And if you know grace, do you live in grace? And when you live in grace, do you see it? And when you see it, do you delight in it? Because grace captured, if it's captured you, you can't help but celebrate it. I'm going to be the guy that comes alongside of you and says, what's God doing? Let's celebrate that. Because so many of us, are, our default is, well, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I don't have. Here's what I'm not doing. Here's how I'm being disobedient. Here's how I'm like, oh, hold on. Let's push pause. What is God doing? Let's change this conversation. What is God doing? What can you celebrate? We have too many. If you're not the person who's self-critical, you've got people in your life that are critical of you. And you don't need, Barnabas is not that kind of person. He's the guy who's coming along and he's going to celebrate whatever, even if it's the smallest little inkling of activity in your life, he's going to come along and celebrate that. You need people to celebrate grace with you and you need a person who celebrates grace. We're not going to focus on the negatives. We're not going to focus on what we don't have and what God's not doing. See, when Barnabas gets to Antioch, he finds these Christians, and he finds that they share the same life with him. And that is what makes a church. Let me say this with all clarity. 
It's not the fact that people gather together on Sunday mornings that make them a church. This is not a church. What makes us a church is that we have the same life in Christ and we're able to manifest the same gifts of the Holy Spirit among one another. That's what makes a church. Barnabas loved the things of God. Barnabas loved the people of God. I'm prepared. He loved the things of God. He loved the people of God. He loved the work of God. And therefore, because his heart orientation was in what, who God is and what he's doing, he sees grace. He sees grace, and he rejoices. And in his rejoicing, he encourages and doggone it, we need to create a culture of people that are going to see the be- best in people, not the worst. Would you agree with that? Now, do we invite people to speak into our lives? Truth and grace, of course. But too many believers are so eager to point out all the worst that we get discouraged in the journey. I'm not going to be that guy in your life. I promise you that. I want to see the best. I want to identify the best. I want to point out the best. I want to celebrate the best. Because aren't we all works in progress? Don't we all need someone to be our t- a cheerleader, right? A coach is both a cheerleader but also a critic. But that criticism doesn't come at you as condemning. It comes as constructive. Right? How about you? What's your general heart? disposition. Do you generally see the best in people or do you default to seeing the worst? Because I'll tell you one thing, the world does not see Jesus in you if you walk around with this self, this this, this criticism and this condemning spirit. I I heard a story this week. Uh, I haven't been to too many quinceaneras in my life. I don't know how about you, Uh, but I hear they're real, real just amazing celebration right these quinceaneras so in north carolina this week um and and just so you know right it's not illegal to have any kind of party we can party i believe jesus partied amen so it's not illegal to have a party so the girl in greensboro north carolina was celebrating her quinceanera and somebody called the police to file a complaint how dare you celebrate how dare is that music i hear is that laughter I hear? Is that carne asada I smell? What is going How come I'm not invited? Is that tacos El Pastor? You better save me at least six. <laughs> Somebody called the police, filed a noise complaint. Officers showed up. Now here's what I love, North Carolina. In the police department, they've got agents of grace. Police show up. They saw nothing wrong. Should have found out who that neighbor was. Egged their house, TP their house, do something. <laughs> The family said, come in, officers, stay, have some tacos, dance, right? And these officers came in, ate some food, and to show their appreciation to the family, they handed out stickers to all the kids, took pictures with the birthday girl, and made sure nobody rained on that girl's parade that day. There's always going to be people out there just looking to just rob joy. Not celebrate whatever. You know what? We need to be different. If you have Jesus, I believe there is a celebratory, joyful spirit that we take with us. And again, you have to know it personally. Until you come into relationship with him and know the joy he offers and the life he offers, you're never going to be a conduit of this. But when you know it, you've got to live in it. You've got to reside in it. You've got to make sure your heart's tethered to it. This means you abide in him and he abides in you and then there's joy forevermore. And when you live in it, you can't help but recognize it. Grace is out there. And when you see it, celebrate it. Encourage it. And that's what we want to do with the third point, right? We want to cultivate it. And let me just tell you, it takes work. We don't need people carping from the sidelines in the church. We don't need people that are just, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Shut your cake hole. Let's put a, let's put a Taco Zell Pastor in that mouth, right? Because if you're not using it for praises, then keep your mouth shut. Was that a little harsh? I'm sorry. I haven't had my Taco Zell Pastor today. 
Barnabas has an impulse, and I say impulse, because to cultivate grace requires perseverance. Can you write down that word, perseverance? You cannot throw in the towel too soon. You cannot give up too soon. You've got to keep going. You've got to fight for its very life every day. It gets all temptation to disbelieve, to doubt, to be discouraged. And doggone, I'm not going to have anything of it. That doesn't mean that we can't have moments. But I'll tell you what, this is where a community, a family comes in. When you're down, I'm going to be up. And when I'm down, you're going to be up. And we're going to be living in this grace-filled environment together. And we're going to persevere and fight for it together. Because I might give you a little bit of a two-minute rant, and then eventually I'm going to come alongside and bring, bring open a can of whoop Jesus. You like how I, I spun that right there for you? Because good people encourage the saints. Good men, good women encourage the saints. And this cry of encouragement stands alongside someone. And you know what they do? Here's what the Barnabas does. Here's how modern-day Barnabases act, or Barnabai. I don't know what the plural is of Barnabas is. But you know what? We come alongside one another. We stand next to somebody, and we're going to provide counsel. We're going to provide courage. We're going to provide comfort. We're going to provide hope. And we're going to provide a positive perspective because that's what a grace-filled life does. I mentioned a coach earlier, right? Here's what a coach does. He encourages and he challenges without condemning, he instructs without lecturing, he inspires without condescending, he helps another towards excellence. That's what a coach does. Write down these verses real quick. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Hebrews 10.24. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up continuously. How'd it go yesterday? Did you find someone to encourage and build up in the faith? If not, what, what's the problem? Let's do it. Who, who's, who's on the map for tomorrow? Who are you going to seek out to build up and to encourage in the faith? Because these are the instructions of God. This is not a hall pass. This is not an elective course when it comes to Jesus. It's not like, yeah, I just can't encourage somebody today. No, no, no. That's called lazy. That's called disobedience. As you see the day drawing near, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, you are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The world's beating us up, and some of you look like it. But Jesus is there to build you up. We need to look like that. See, this is a different kind of maturity. This is not about, oh, but what about me? What about me? The more you do what Jesus wants you to do, and you feel like your life is empty, God has a supernatural way of filling you up. When you are obedient to the Lord, he fills your cup. So who are you going to stir up towards love and good deeds today? Don't you dare go, well, what about me? That's not the question. This is not about you. And this has been the problem all along. You think it's about you. This is not a you-centered universe. This is a Jesus-centered universe where you are mobilized to consider yourselves as nothing and consider others as more important yourself. It doesn't say, but there's no asterisk in it and says, look at the fine print below. But if you're having a bad day, your football team loses, your political candidate's not in office, or you're for a case thanking, you've got an exception. Build up and encourage one another. Command. Stir one another up towards love and good deeds. Command. Make it your daily aim to encourage others to persevere in the faith. Whew. Just so you guys know, there's no aneurysm. I don't think there's an aneurysm coming in my head right now. I do have Kleenex for some of you that are wondering. Uh, 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 Barnabas, there's three things here I think about Barnabas. He's humble. He's honest. He's wise. Because look what he does. Look at verse 20, 24. So he's a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. People are coming to know Jesus. And then verse 25 says something interesting. He left for Tarsus to look for Saul. You know why? Because Barnabas recognizes that there is such a harvest that he needs helpers. He's humble. 
because he realizes that this is not the church of Barnabas. This is the church of the Lord, and he needs help. So he's honest. He's admitting to himself, like, I can't do this alone. And he's wise because he's thinking, who do I know that could just really go crazy in a culture like Antioch? Saul. This guy knows cross-cultural activity. He's diverse in his understanding. He knows the scriptures. He's, he's, he's like a bulldog. We need that kind of spirit, right? So he goes and he looks for Saul. Can I just tell you something real quick? This is why I may occupy this position in the church of being a, a teacher on Sunday morning. I'm thankful for our small group leaders. I'm thankful that there's a team of men and women who have stepped up and said, hey, we'll help love other people in Christ. We'll help just teach other people in Christ. I can't do this alone. And I celebrate the fact that on your insert in your program, go ahead and turn there. There's a list of small groups for you to get involved in. These are the people that help me help one another grow in maturity in Christ. These are the people, right? We got, we got Lavolsi's, we've got the Pococks, we've got Lori, we've got Ann, we've got me, we've got Mike Strawn, we've got um, other groups, right? Uh, that, Carol, Jeanette, all these wonderful groups meeting and they're word-focused and they're grace-filled and they are men and women who have said, we'll co-labor with you. Because guess what? I can't do it alone. And all God's people said, yeah, if I did it alone, I'd get real tired and get real irritable. Bring me Taco El Pastor, I may not be as mad. Guess what's on the lunch menu today? My wife's like, I know it. The moment he starts talking about food, and he's humble enough to recognize his limitations, but he's wise enough to seek the best man for the job, and his name is Saul. Point number three, different kind of ministry. If you guys remember, Saul has been off the grid for about 10 years. Remember what last time we met Saul? He was, he was so zealous that the church in Jerusalem couldn't handle the guy. And they're like, we need to send him back home. And they send him back to Tarsus, and we don't hear about Saul for 10 years. That doesn't mean he's not doing anything. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, he'll list all the stuff that had happened to him. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been beaten. He'd been scourged. He'd been bit by snakes. He was taking the gospel to different places. Saul, just because we don't read about it, wasn't inactive. And just because the spotlight may not be on you, that doesn't mean you have to be inactive either. Saul's doing business for the Lord. Whether you know it or not, he's doing it. So 10 years, Barnabas goes and looks for him. Now look at verse 25. He sent, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Circle the word look, because this is an interesting word. Because I want you to know some, there's a little bit of an insider information here. Luke uses this word one other time in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus' parents were frantically looking for him in the temple because they lost him as a kid. Can you imagine losing Jesus? Oh, great, I've lost the Son of God. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> so they are frantically looking for Jesus because he's disappeared. Barnabas goes to Tarsus and frantically looks for Paul because you know why? Paul no longer has an address. Paul no longer has family. Paul has no longer friends. Why? Because he's counted everything as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. And Barnabas is having a heck of a time locating his buddy. But he finds him. And what is now going to be the Barnabas and Saul ministry is eventually going to turn into a Paul and Barnabas ministry. Paul is going to take over and become the missionary to the Gentiles. And look at the different kind of ministry they do. So he goes and he finds Saul, who later becomes Paul, right? Verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came about that for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. Different kind of ministry. What do I mean by that? It is a ministry that's focused on the word in two ways. Number one, knowing the word. And number two, applying the word. Can I tell you right now, that is ministry summed up simply. You don't need to complicate it. I need to go to a Bible study every single night. No, you don't. 
I need, I'm part of different churches. I need to be a part of this program. I need to read all these books. Can I just tell you right now, ministry is simply this. Knowing the word and applying the word to your life. Right? We're not, we're not a seminary classroom. We're not here to merely know things about God. We are to know him and apply what he's revealed to us so that we can live our lives for his glory and one another's good. That's the ministry. And this is what Saul and Barnabas are doing for a year. For a year. Three things. There's organic nature, right? They're, they're growing organically. You guys love, I love that word, just so you guys know. Um, and I, can I just really quick, so someone needs to hear this, I believe. I wonder how excited Paul, Saul is that Barnabas found him. And basically said, hey, let's do ministry together. Because here, here I, and I think, and I, someone needs to hear this. So often, because Saul's removed, and we think when God removes things from us, it's a sign of his rejection. When in reality, when God removes you from things, sometimes it's more a sign of his refinement of who you are. Someone needs to hear this, because we don't like sometimes where God has us. And it's quick for our minds to go, well, somehow I'm, dis- I'm a displeasure to him. He's rejected me. Can I tell you, sometimes God removes you because he wants to refine you. Is that good? So 10 years of refinement. Would you say that's a long time? <laughs> I mean, you're like, 10 minutes of refinement. I'm like tapping out. Uncle, like, we don't want it. So God sends Barnabas, Barnabas gets Saul, Saul, Barnabas go to Antioch. They are organically growing. And, and when I mean organic, here's, I'm going to come back to this again. Back to verse 19, 20, 21. You never know the names of the men and women who are taking the word of God, pointing to the son of God, and watching the hand of God work. No one's name's ever mentioned. Which tells us, any of us, who oftentimes do the work of God and will go unnoticed, unacknowledged, that's not a bad thing. God knows. God knows. And this is how the organic work of God, we don't need celebrities, we don't need famous people, we need faithful servants who are just connected to the pulse of our God, and that's how organic ministry works. Number two, they're growing consistently. Meaning, they met together for a year. They had a plan, right? A year of teaching, a year of knowing, a year of applying. So they spend a year together. And can I tell you what? This is what discipleship requires. It requires patience and perseverance. If you're looking for God to change your life overnight, like I went to church for three weeks and God didn't do anything, so I'm done. You don't understand discipleship. You don't understand a culture that says, we are designed to grow old together. I want to retire with you. I want to be buried with you guys. I mean, not to get all grim and stuff, but I want to get old together and die together and, and, and spend our time in eternity going, wasn't it fun to be patient with one another and persevere with one another as we grew in Jesus? See, too many times we put too much expectation on churches and programs and this and that, and in reality you just need to buckle up, dig deep, and be patient and persevere with one another. But there's also growing systematically. you got to have a plan. And here's about the Word of God. Here's about us coming together and celebrating Jesus and getting in the Word together and dissecting it and, and just seeing what God has in store for us. Because at the core of growing systematically is a heart that says we are going to grow in this newness of life that Jesus has purchased for us. We'll close with this. Point number four, different kind of moniker. I had to alliterate. You guys don't know what moniker is? It's a name, it's a label. You know, Diamondbacks, moniker. Apple, moniker. 3M, moniker, right? It's a label. Notice, something interesting, just a little note. And at that time, for the first time, the believers in Antioch were called Christians. The word Christian only appears three times in the Bible. Twice in Acts, one in 1 Peter. It's a word I do not use in my life. 
I have deliberately said, I am not a Christian. Why? Because the word has lost its edge. The word has lost its significance. It is a vague epithet at best, and I will not call myself a Christian. Some of you are like, is he denying Jesus? You know what I call myself? And you've heard me say it even this morning in my message. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's different. But the church was called, they were called Christians. The church didn't call themselves this. This was a name given to them by the culture. Track with me. This was a term of derision. Right? Because they come into this culture that's so different. They come into this culture, and and the culture looks at these lives and goes, what do we call these people? I mean, think about it. They, they, They come in. And, and the folks are thinking of anti, they're like, look at these crazy people. They come into our city. They don't worship our idols. They don't observe our morals. They live their lives inter- entirely different from ours. So what should we call them? Let's call them Christ people. Yeah, that will get them, right? And there's a term of derision, Christ people. But what I love about it is that it embodied the very heart of why these people existed. You want to call me Christ man? You want to be called Christ woman? Maybe that's not such a bad title. See, Christians, you guys, meant that there was something revolutionary about their lives in this dark culture. They stood out. And it wasn't necessarily the things they said. It was the way they lived that was different. See, they talked about Christ, but not only talked about Christ, they resembled him. And what was evident among this culture was that more than anything else, the evidence pointed to these people knowing Jesus. What's the evidence point to in your life? If I was to pull a coworker, a neighbor, somebody and say, what is evidence? And what did this person value? What do they, what do you think that, what would they say? Would they say, man, I tell you what, that person, I don't know Jesus, but if, if there was a Jesus, this person would be Jesus. What would the world say about you? See, your distinctiveness goes beyond your ethnicity, amen? Your distinctiveness goes beyond your religion. Your distinctiveness goes beyond your politics. These believers who came together as a family, celebrating their newness in life and seeing the fruit of the Spirit made manifest, they were giving the culture a glimpse of the kingdom of God to come. And while the kingdom of God is not fully consummated, we can give the world a sneak preview. Boy, does the world see us living our lives together where they go, man, I don't know what those people are called, but they are Christ's people. They are Jesus' people. Because we are to shine brightly in a dark culture. And guys, how are we doing? This requires a different kind of of everything. It's going to get darker. But my prayer is that we shine brighter and perhaps dig in deep into some of the things that we've unpacked this morning. I love you guys. Let's encourage one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's storm hell with a squirt gun and just celebrate what God's doing. His hand is at work. And all God's people said, let's stand, let's pray. Father, thanks for today. For loving us for coming close to us, for revealing something to us that is just mind-blowing and heart-shattering, Lord. You are a God who has chosen to love us with all of our imperfections and with all, all of our flaws and with all of our, of all of our disappointments. Lord, you're a God who steps in and you are truly bringing a revelation and a revolution. You are truly bringing upheaval, not just to this world, but to our lives. And it's a good thing. You're reminding us that it's all Jesus, and that's all we need. To live and to watch and to listen and to abide with him. And to be the people that, that evidence that, Lord, 
Help create us into those kind of people. Help to um, just help us focus on what needs to be focused on. Forgive us for the ways we've been distracted. We've been enticed and tempted by the world. Lord, bring our hearts into closer alignment with you and your will. Help us to experience the greater, greater existence in this world that you've designed for us, and that's to live for you and to point other people to you through Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us in him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face toward you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Have a great day, guys. See you soon, all right? Bye-bye. Joseph. You're welcome. I'm awake without